everybody, and welcome to episode 129 of the Jambase podcast. Proud partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. I'm Scott Bernstein, and this week's episode features an interview with Bruce Hornsby. The legendary pianist and composer returned to the Jambase podcast to discuss his fantastic new album, Flicted, out now on his Zappo Productions imprint. We'll hear my chat with Bruce soon. But now, a word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Grateful Fred. Grateful Fred specializes in high-quality chrome car badges that incorporate designs like the 13-point bolt, the steely, bears, and numerous other classic Grateful Dead designs. Now they're bringing fans something completely different, a true one-of-a-kind piece of art, the American Beauty Flat, which was inspired by the Grateful Dead and their strong ties to American culture and history. The American Beauty Flag artwork is being auctioned off with the auction benefiting the nonprofit Pets for Vets. Pets for Vets connects America's veterans with shelter pets by rescuing, training, and pairing the companion animals with those that have served in the military. So how did this flag come to be? Grateful Fred started out with one product, a simple 13-point chrome bolt. There was a lot to learn in the beginning, and during their learning phase, Grateful Fred accumulated an abundance of bolts that they weren't comfortable selling due to what some may consider imperceptible defects. No matter how small the scratch or blemish, Grateful Fred didn't feel comfortable making a sale without 100% certainty that the purchaser would be happy with the final product. Long story short, Grateful Fred ended up with a whole bunch of scratch and dent bolts on their hands. So last summer, Grateful Fred made a prototype of the American Beauty flag out of over 500 red, chrome white, and blue bolts. Fred shared the prototype with their followers last 4th of July, and that brings us up to today. In the spirit of continuing to produce the highest quality products for deadheads, Grateful Fred decided to turn all of those red, white, and blue lemons into lemonade. So they reached out to Lionheart Framing in Atlanta to see if they could turn the flag concept into a reality. The end result is a show-stopping, elegantly framed, one-of-a-kind, badass piece of upcycled Grateful Dead art. Visit Grateful Fred to place your online bid for their American Beauty flag and support Pets for Vets. Fish recently concluded their short spring tour this past weekend with three nights in Noblesville, Indiana. Each show featured plenty of memorable moments. Friday's opener at the venue, originally known as Deer Creek, came on bassist Mike Gordon's 57th birthday. Mike led the band through the longest and most interesting version yet of his original mull in the first set. Other highlights were a 17-minute Everything's Right and expansive takes on Down With Disease and Ruby Waves. Saturday's show featured a tremendous You Enjoy Myself, A Wave of Hope pairing to get the second set underway, and ended with the band's first performance of the slow version of Maze. Yet the highlight of the run and tour came on Sunday when Fish launched their final set of the tour with a 34-minute sand. Ben Greenfield recapped the show for Jam Bass, and I love how he described the sand. Some of the elite jams in fish history are great because they do one or two things incredibly well. Funk fest, bliss jams, etc., wrote Ben. Others, like Sunday Night Sand, build entire worlds around themselves, unfolding like a novel with a beginning, middle, and end, and numerous ups and downs along the way. This jam covered light and dark, outrageous peaks and jagged grooves, as well as terrain that defies any description other than one. It's pure, essential fish. Amen to that, Ben. Also of note since the last episode was the announcement of Into the Sun, a three-day music event presented by Jambase and Neighbor at Soundcheck Studios in Pembroke, Massachusetts, that will take place September 9th through September 11th. Neighbor will perform in unique configurations each night, including a set from Neighbor 9 featuring, you guessed it, a nine-piece Neighbor lineup. Jennifer Hartswick is also aboard for all three nights, as she'll play with her full band on Friday, in her duo with Nick Casarino on Saturday, and as the artist at large on Sunday. The weekend will also include sets from the Nth Power, Club Delph, Natalie Cressman and Ian Fulkini duo, and Duochrome. Get your tickets now at IntoTheSun2022.com. That's IntoTheSun2022.com. Okay, now back to Bruce Hornsby. I spoke with Bruce over a video call a few weeks back from his home in Virginia. We started by talking about covers, as Flicted features Hornsby's arrangement of Chuck Berry's Too Much Monkey Business, the first time he's included a cover on one of his studio albums. 
Hornsby explained why he completely reworks songs and strays far from the original when he covers a tune, and gave the examples of his takes on Elton John's Madman Across the Water and Dinosaur Jr.'s Fill the Pain he recorded for tribute albums. We then discussed set lists. Bruce's first appearance on the Jam Bass podcast came in 2018 when he talked the art of the set list. Hornsby continues to go without a pre-planned set list each night and has audience members put requests on pieces of paper that litter his stage. Bruce had recently added multi-instrumentalist John Mylander to his band when we last spoke. He talked about how Mylander has fit the group like a glove this time around. Talk then turns Afflicted, which completes a trilogy started with 2019's Absolute Zero that continued with 2020's Non-Secure Connection. Hornsby revealed two very disparate elements in his musical life came together over the past few years. First, he's been looking back at film cues he wrote for director Spike Lee and creating full songs from them. Additionally, Bruce has been working with the latest generation of musical acts after Bon Iver's Justin Vernon opened the door into the indie world for him. Flicted, like Absolute Zero and Non-Secure Connection, features a number of songs developed out of film cues with guest appearances from, as Hornsby said, talented artists interested in working with Grandpa. Hornsby and I talked about contributors to Flicted, including Blake Mills, Daniel Heim, Ezra from Vampire Weekend, Zberg, and Ethan Grushka. Bruce also detailed his relationship with Flicted co-producer Tony Berg and how producer Ariel Rekshad helped out on a few tracks. Additional topics discussed were a new album Hornsby is working on with Y Music, a project Green Sky Bluegrass may be potentially involved in, and his appreciation for EDM. Listen to my interview with Bruce Hornsby, which we'll lead into with a bit of his Too Much Monkey Business cover from Flicted. Well, I've been running to and fro hard, working at the bell, never failing the mail, yeah, come on, rotten bill, ho. Too much monkey business, too much, too much monkey business, too much monkey business for me to be involved in. Said I'm talking to me, try to run me up a creek, you can buy now, go and try, baby, next week. Oh, too much monkey business, too much monkey business, too much monkey business for me to be involved in. Have good looks, trying to get me hooked. Born to marry, get a home, settle down, write a book. Oh, too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business for me to be involved in. I'm pleased to welcome Bruce Hornsby back to the Jam Bass Podcast for the first time since 2018. Uh, how are you doing today, Bruce? Well, it's been that long. I'm doing. I'm doing okay, as you. As I, you asked me that before, and I said, I'm just, I, I think I'm not sucking too bad right now. So, uh, <laughs> it, I would wake up in the morning, try to do better, you know, try to get better and uh, to keep the self-loathing at bay. That's always the, uh, the goal. And so uh, right now, okay, not, not horrible. And are you at, at home in Virginia? Yes. I'm in my studio here. You see, uh, if you, for uh for those who love avant-garde jazz theory, I have the Lydian chromatic concept of tonal organization here. Bruce has the, shown me his book. The eminent. Oh, I see. Okay, this is right. This is not going to be seen. George Russell, the the eminent uh, jazz theoretician, and here's uh, still this book, Abby Hoffman. We <laughs> use these. <laughs> we use these prize props in our video for the song Too Much Monkey Business that is on this record. Uh, uh, my fir first cover I've ever put on a, on a, on a studio record, <clears throat> uh, an arrangement that I worked up with Leon Russell years ago and wanted to revisit it and update it and hopefully make it better than I thought the original came out. And so we, we had different guys. Basically, the song Monkey Business... Uh, it goes like this as an arrangement. It's basically 
a groove, bass, and and piano, a little sort of electric, uh, electric piano groove thing. And then about five different Schmendricks uh, adding their little parts here and there. So there's a lot of downtime for the other guys other than the three basic, uh, basic piano trio. <clears throat> so I had my guys in my band uh, basically look like they're just bored to death with everything that's going on, bored to death with the song. They couldn't care less about it. Just sitting there reading the Lydian chromatic concept or reading steal this book, book or, or playing old vintage board games like, uh, Oh, like the, the Zorro board game that we had as kids. And uh, it's a, a quick trauma gras board game. Leave it to Beaver goes to the West. But, so these these arcane old bits of, of, uh, of ephemera from our past that I decided to put into the game here in our video. So, yeah, a bunch of board musicians just waiting for their little cue so they can play their little lick every minute and a half. That's so that's where those that's why they're there because they're still there from from the old video shoot well old meaning months ago and i i mean it's been a long time and this is as you said the first time you've put a cover on one of your albums even though you you often do play covers in, in concert but i mean it sounds nothing like the original and i think that's the beauty of it well that's why why would you do that uh why would you be uh, why would you try to replicate and be be so true to the original? They've already got the original. It's going to be hard for you to beat that, at least for me. Uh, one of the first one of the first uh, uh, tribute records we were a part of was the dedicated record. Uh, I think the right. And so we did Jack Straw, and it was not really that much of a reinvention. But the way we played it to me made it sound like as it sounded as if. Uh, the Every Picture Tells a Story era Rod Stewart band was playing it because my guitar player at the time, George Marinelli, he was a real Keith Richards guy and a Ron Wood guy, so, so faces. So it had it had that sort of quality, maybe which took it a little bit away from the original, which is hard to, again, hard to beat. You know, sure. It's hard to beat. Europe 72, Jack Straw, you know, it's 50 years uh, ago. Yes, so long ago, and it's just, it holds up great. So, but since then, I tried to, when I would subsequently be, subsequently be asked to do uh, tribute records, try to take it to a different place. For instance, the next, I think the next one I did was a tribute to Elton John and Bernie Taupin. And so I took it out in a way, in a, sort of, uh, because I, I took his great song, Mad Men Across the Water, and turned it into a McCoy Tyner esque chordal harmony j uh, jazzy sort of piece and uh and when the record came out most of the other versions were very faithful and so i was really happy a lot of people hated our version they thought oh my god you know what why would you do that to an elton john a great elton john song and okay i i hear that but again i think that the the charge when you're doing a a, a tribute is to or doing a cover is to spin it in a different way, find a new way to do it. <laughs> last last year, I was asked by Jag Jaguar Records to be a part of, uh, oh, this record, tag on it. Uh, it's, it's a great band, and their name is escaping me. And I, I I did a song, feel the pain of everyone, then I feel nothing, feel the pain. It's a song and Dinosaur Jr. Yes. Dinosaur Jr. So I spun that into a very atonal feel the pain of everything. Then I feel another. You know, just angular and chromatic. And look, that was the fun of it to me. And again, some people thought, wow, that's really great. And some people thought, oh my God, what in the world? So. <laughs>
So that's uh, well, polarizing impact. Always polarizing reactions, yeah. But it, it made an impact or not? Who the hell knows? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So when we last talked, uh, we were at City Winery, and um, yes. we discussed the art of the set list, and it was one of my favorite conversations because you have a great approach, and at least at that time, you don't, you didn't plan out set lists in advance. Oh, is that no. still the case? Oh, absolutely. And it's so much. I'm sure I talked about it then, but, but it hasn't changed in the sense that since 1990, we have, we've been taking requests f- from, the, from right. our audience. They, they write them down on papers. If you come to a concert of ours where devotees abound, you know, where there are people who really know what we do, then the stage will be littered before we go on with 50 to 100 pieces of paper. And... And, and they're very creative. The, the artwork, people draw uh, hilarious caricatures of me and the band guys. And so it's great fun, but it also takes us to places that we wouldn't have thought of. So I have these requests there and I'll look at one and go, okay, let's try this. And the band really has, they re- truly have no idea what I'm going to do. But I, I don't, I try not to hurt their feelings. I try not to just start singing something, expect them to come in. I'll, I'll do a little intro and obliquely reference what's coming and they usually get it. And that's the fun of it. You know, I think when you get into music, you didn't get it into music to, to be in a situation where the leader goes, here's the set list for the year. Cause a lot of gigs that we know of are that uh, are, that's, that's the way they're run. That's the way that's the, the, that's the plan. There is a specific plan and every night's, virtually or if not exactly the same so that's that would be horrifying for me that uh, it, it started in 1990 we we're playing a place called great woods outside of boston and the cowboy junkies uh were our opening act and uh but margo timmons the great singer front front woman presence of that group she she was not feeling well so they couldn't do the gig so i came out and said look i'm sorry for anyone who's here to see the cowboy junkies they can't play here. So we're going to do, do it all night, but we're just going to make it loose and take requests. So write it down. And, and that started And we, it was such a great feeling, such a great interactive. The gig had such a great interactive quality that, that I never stopped doing that and still do. And so, yeah, that's how we, that's how it works for us. And also at that time, um, John Mylander had just joined the band. And how has yes. he fit, fit in all these years later? Oh, just like a glove, as the cliche goes. It, it, he's just fantastic. He's a great musician. He's got great ears. He's got a great rhythmic sense. And he's a very creative player. I'll just turn him loose before a song sometimes and say, hey, just play an intro. You know, because that's how, that's how we roll. So it's just, I, I just think of, I just, I'm trying to entertain my band and I, I'm trying to keep it loose and keep it always fresh. So that's my goal every night. One of my goals. And so, yes, no, John just play. And every night when he has that moment or a couple of moments like that, he, it's always different. He's always, he's creating in the moment, composing in the moment. And that's what I'm interested in myself. We'll play a hit song, but in the middle of it, I'll get an idea to go off and move it to another place. And I'll just cut the band off, give them the old uh, tug there. And uh, and then I'll do this and then I'll morph it into a chord progression that I come up with on the spot. And that creates a new section. And so that's what I feel that, that, that constitutes spontaneity to me, that sort of moment. And Again, the band guys love this because they know I'm not going to get mad at them if they if they miss something, if they don't catch on. I'll just keep going or move to something else. You know, I'll just 
sort of roll with whatever's happening. And so again, that's that's our approach, and uh, and it will always be that way because that's that's my approach as a musician. Excellent. And the the main reason we're we're talking today is about Flicted, um, an album yes. that that will be out by the time um, people hear this. And it's mm-hmm. d- described as the final chapter of a trilogy that started with 2019's Absolute Zero and continued with Non-Secure Connection in yes. 2020. And w- what ties the three albums together? Okay, I guess two very disparate elements in my musical life that came, that sort of came together around the same time, I guess. Okay. So I've been working with, with and for Spike Lee since 1992. So that's 30 years now. Uh, but from 2008, so I was, I, I would contribute a Saint Kate asked me in 1995 to contribute a song, an end title song to his great movie, 95 clockers. Shaka Khan and I were writing a song together. We gave that song to Spike. We made a video with Spike in Harlem. It was in the it was in the movie. It was a great, great time, uh, and so that's uh, that started it. Uh, and gradually, I, he, he asked me here and there every few years. He'd ask me to do something like that. But then in two thousand eight, it ramped up into a much higher gear where he asked me to st- to score an ESPN documentary he was making on Kobe Bryant called Kobe Doing Work. So I did that. And I guess it was sort of an audition, de facto audition. And then, so I guess I passed the audition and he kept hiring me until 2019 or so. I did six different scores for him, uh, starting with that one and ending with two seasons of Netflix uh, uh, version of his, uh, episodic version of his first movie, She's Gotta Happen. I did the score for, for both seasons for that. So I count that as two scores, which sure. it is. And so in that time, from in that 11-year period, I, I composed 240 or so different pieces of music, ranging from 40 seconds to four, four and a half minutes. And he used about half of those in the course of those movies that I scored for him. And uh, But a lot of, over the years, I'd write, certain cues and they would give me chills. I would just love them. And I'd play them for my first wife of 38 years. And she, she would like that. And she'd go, wow, to, mm, lo- you know, move, moves me so much. So I thought there's some of these, some of these cue, film cues, pieces of, of film scoring music, film score music are, were just sort of crying out to be expanded into songs. And so I started doing that in 2017. I got my engineer, it made me a file of 14 of these cues and I started writing songs, a totally different method of writing songs that I, that I, that I ever, ever dealt with before. And I was giving myself chills while I'm writing these songs, blah, blah, on and on and on. And so that when you get, when you're giving, able to give yourself chills, you know, you're on the right track. Seriously. It's an intangible thing. You can't force that. You either, it either happens or it doesn't. So you need to listen to those moments. You need to listen to the moments when you yourself have given yourself chills. So I kept working on that. And and, and also at the same time, I was starting to enter ever so slowly, but surely, enter a different musical world, the indie world. And it happened because of the great Justin Vernon from Bon Iver. Yes. Been shouting me out. It started, starting about 2012, 13, at least in, in my consciousness, that's where it came into my um, view, where he was shouting me out as being someone who had been an influence on him when he was coming up. And uh, and so then he called me and asked me to, to uh, do a duet with him as a part of the in, Indie Rock World's Grateful Dead tribute tribute. Uh, compilation 10 cds it was a massive compilation he always liked my version of, of black muddy river the great garcia hunter song and uh yeah we had put that out on our here come the noisemakers live record in 2001 to 2002 and so he asked me if i would do a duet with him on black muddy river so i went to eau claire wisconsin where he lived lives and uh we spent two days becoming friends and making this music. And then it just kept growing and evolving. 
you know, kind of like the dead thing grew and evolved from when they asked us to open for them in, in, in 87. Then they'd ask them to open, to ask them, ask us to open every year, a couple of more times, two or three more times every year. Then Garcia played on my third record, our third record, the Rangers' last record. And, and then I'd come and sit in with them when I wasn't, uh, when we weren't opening for him, it just grew it and, and culminated sadly in the death of Brent and them asking me to help them through that tough time. So uh, the Justin Vernon thing was a bit like that. We worked a little bit here and then I asked him to do this. Then he asked me to do that. I played in, at his festival. I played at Coachella with him as his guest uh, in 18, 19. Uh, and so, so then I, so I'd sent Justin what I was working on, this record that became Absolute Zero. And he got back to me with a sort of glowing report. He had a few uh, critiques about it sonically, about the drum sound, this and that. But he said, why don't you come to Eau Claire and do a gig with us, a little little informal gig at this hotel uh, in which he's a part owner. And then we'll spend a few days in the studio. And so we did. And it was a very fertile time. We wrote a song together. I brought a bunch of these cues and okay. we and uh, to, uh, to as sort of song starts or song prompts. And we ended up working on several of them. And one of them ended up on the next Bon Iver record, a song called Man Like You. It was a, a Justin and Bruce co-write. And another one called Cast Off that ended it was a, it was a duet that we did on Absolute Zero. I guess it's terrible but it don't feel so bad I'm a vine and I may hold the key for being gratefully glad smile in my face my big old time you want it to here's my back for stabbing These two, again, unconnected, unrelated, really, uh, events, scoring for Spike and then entering the world of Bon Iver, that resulted in these three records uh, because the response to Absolute Zero was so intense on a positive level around the world. And uh, look, affirmation is inspiring. You know, <laughs> if, if, if you got a whole bunch of people telling you, yeah, you're doing the right thing there, kid, that's going to give you a little extra impetus to keep going so hence three albums in four years with another one coming next year that's it's very different it's related but it's not the same it's not based on spike lee cues so that's right this is the third of the tri trilogy afflicted i guess six out six or seven out of the 12 songs come from spike Hughes, and uh others come from other areas just being in the air looking for inspiration and going oh okay Here's this. Uh, we had the great Blake Mills who played on played on the song Meds on Absolute Zero. And uh, he was playing on Meds and he was playing something while they were setting up the amps. And I said, man, Blake, I love what you're playing. Could you just give me a couple of minutes of that? So he just pressed, pressed record because he's sitting there in the control room, just the two of us. And he gave me this bit. And two years later, when the pan when, when uh, during the beginning of the pandemic shutdown in March 2020, I'm going, starting to, well, I can't go anywhere. All my tours have been postponed or canceled. I start going through a few things I had, and I had this Blake Mills bit, put it up, and I listened to this, and I thought to myself, well, I'm just going to try something. I'm going to just sing the first melody that comes into my head over his music. So I put it on, and I just went, da, 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 da. A rather angular melody, you know, 
jumps all over the place intervallically. And uh, so I listened to that and I thought, wow, that's that works for me. I just got chills thinking about it. And so so that became the first song on the record, Sidelines. Uh, and and I was very fortunate to to get the great Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend, also in this world. Uh, uh, Justin Vernon opened a door for me. And I walked through this door only to find that there were a whole lot more people in this room who felt the same way about, about me as he did. And, and so I start, you've seen the, the records dotted with fantastic young, young artists who are interested in working with grandpa. So it's been, pretty, <laughs> it's been pretty beautiful. It's, you know, it's a great sort of late career Renaissance and, and that's it creatively. And, so I just love it. And so Ezra singing on that first song, Sidelines, uh, Daniel Heim, the great uh, sisters trio, L.A. trio Heim. She sings with me a duet on the seventh song, Days Ahead, which is, I guess, my attempt at writing as channeling a bit of Brian Wilsonian feeling in a ballad, which I'd never done before. So it takes me to a new place. Anyway, that's that's a... That's telling you a little bit about there's more I could talk about, but I don't want to just bore the hell out of you. So well, no, you, so, I mean, so, so back the, so back to you. The ball's back to you. No, and this is great, and and that picks it up on um, D- Days Ahead, um, which is one of my favorite tracks on the album, and, and yep, it's got mine too. You're not you're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got at points it's got so many layers and then at other points it's extremely quiet and and minimalist and and uh did did tony berg play a, a big role in in the production when when it came to that tony did yes he was very involved that's that song uh lidar the song after that one of the pertinent there's little stylistic corners of the record there's sort of the ed the first two songs are the guitar bass sort of indie tunes sidelines tag then it goes into a third song the crazy song the hound about you know you could be forever known as the guy in the locker room who popped the bone <laughs> or the guy math who shit his pants or had the wet spot at the cotillion dance so <laughs> that there's that hound is sort of a, a stylistic bridge to monkey business and then the two sort of edm blues jams uh that come after that and then there's a little palate cleanser there in the, uh, the days ahead is that and then a couple of dulcimer songs it's sort of folky corner it goes into that and etc so uh right tony was very involved in lidar and days ahead and sidelines and uh yeah tag look he was he's a co-producer so yeah he uh his his uh, paw prints are are all over it, and uh, he's look. He's a great he's a great friend of mine. I've known him for for so long. Uh, I've known him since '84, and we've been friends and sort of musical collaborators for many years. He co-produced my 2009 record that Blake played on. Also, I don't know if Blake is so known to your you know however you would define. Uh, your audience, but uh, but he's one of the great guitar players. He was sprung from Zeus at age, you know, whatever <laughs> nine, nine or something, and That's he played on my record in two thousand eight or nine with because of Tony. Brought and Tony brought him in, and uh, he was unbelievably creative and adept. He could, he had these crazy ideas, and he could just execute them right off the bat. Really, something. He made a record with Pino Palladino last year, which was great quite basis. something. Uh, yes, uh, he, he and Tony. Now they they took over about several years, three or four or five years ago. They took over the vaunted venue Sound Cities in the Valley of L.A., San Fernando Valley. You know where all those uh, Tom Petty records and Stevie Nicks records were made, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think Dave Grohl even made a, a documentary. documentary about it. I think Nevermind. I, I think the Nirvana first record uh, was was recorded there. So. You're in hallowed ground when you work at Sound City, and I've been working there a ton just before working with these guys. So, yeah, my my musical world has expanded in the most beautiful way, in the most natural way. People calling and saying, I've always liked what you've done. I'd like to see what would happen if we were in a room together trying to create. So that's beautiful. 
And, you know, in, in talking about um, d- Days Ahead, I, I almost hear an influence of Justin and uh, Bon Iver sure. on that. Sure. I mean, okay. I think, think it's cool that it works also in, in reverse. He's had an effect on you. Like, well, like you OK, have- well, if I, I think I can identify exactly the, the, the area of the song in which you're uh, talking about what you're talking. And uh, so. I, and I think it's attributable to another producer who worked on the record with me on the two songs that I've named, the Ezra duet, Sidelines, and the Danielle duet, Days Ahead. And his name is Ariel Rekshai. And he's one of the great producers. He produces the Vampire Weekend records. Oh, Lord, he's worked with Adele and Madonna and on and on. He's a very creative guy. He's become a good friend. and uh, And he... He created some of that soundscape that you're hearing in Days Ahead in the choruses, very swirly, kind of. And that could be, I guess you could say that that's not unlike the textures that you could hear on uh, I, I, the last Bon Iver record, or 22 A Million, the Bon Iver record before that. So, yeah, I think that's very astute of you. You've got good ears, but that's. That's more of Ariel's contribution. Okay. There will be days ahead. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Brightening light arrays in this world. This world. That our friends could see Remember when we tried to learn German Tony's contribution is very interesting. Tony was was an apprentice, and I didn't know this until I've known him for years. Very, very good friends, but I didn't know that in the 60s or early 70s, sometime in there, he was an apprentice for the great producer Jack Nietzsche. And... Uh, or maybe it's Nitschke, I'm not sure. Not too sure. But but uh anyway, produced tons of hit records with the wrecking crew at Ocean Way and all those great studios from back in that time. Uh and so he heard this day's a hit song and he was just mad for it. He said, Oh, I'm this this is taking me back to this Jack Nietzsche, Nitschke territory. And so he put some of the wood blocks and the sh- yeah. Those sort of effects that, you know, I never think about that. I'm just trying to write a good song and perform it well. But but that's but I've always welcomed I, I always welcome what I call sonic trickery and just just interesting production. I'm totally in, in my more in my dotage now. I'm been I'm more interested in that than just playing a solo. I haven't soloed on a record in years. I couldn't care less. It's not interesting to me. I feel like I've done that and I don't necessarily have anything new to say there as much as I feel like I have something new ish to say as a writer and as a maker of, of sound creator of records. And so, so Tony, yes, the, the little drum, the drum uh, feeling in the chorus is, you know, I wouldn't have thought of that, but I just love it. So that's coming from, from his background. And so again, it's so beautiful to be able to avail yourself of these very sharp musical minds who are in there going, well, okay, yeah, let's see how we can sculpt this and turn, twist and turn it. So yeah, uh, so Tony and Ariel and I were the reducers of, of that song. And did you record in person with the likes of Ezra and Blake um, and Danielle? Or was it done remotely because of the pandemic? Well, I told you how the Blake thing worked. He just, I, I, yeah, I was there when he laid down this little. Oh, you little actually os- used it from from the previous sessions. From the session where I said, "Hey, can you? I love what you're playing. Can you put, give me a couple yeah. of minutes of that? Just play that to the, to the click track you're that you're you're listening to because it's the same tempo as the song he played on meds. So that, so yeah, I was in the studio when he did that, but then I just took that and turned it into a song, which is 
you know, very common in this day and age for, for, for files to be sent around. You know, you can make a record with somebody in Kuala Lumpur, you know, yeah. and because you just can. Uh, so, right, uh, you, Ezra, Ezra did a lot of vocals with Ariel uh, okay. on, on, on sidelines at one point, but he hadn't finished it. So I was able to be in the studio with them in L.A., and uh, when he finished it and, and and he hadn't sung the verses yet, he had sung the choruses and created his own great section where it all breaks down. It's just Ezra upon Ezra that, yeah, you know, open up, this there. And so look again, he, what, what an addition, you know, that just a whole section he created. So that's fantastic. And Danielle, uh, Ariel recorded, recorded her too so i wasn't in the room i just took it and uh slotted it in where it seemed to be the right spot and the penultimate song on the album um simple prayer too yep. you know they're so different from simple prayer on levitate <laughs> well um, way to go you know you're uh, most people have no idea they say simple prayer too and they go well what where the hell is simple prayer one and i just said well you know if you just reveal yourself as someone who doesn't keep up. And I understand that. I really don't expect anyone to know all this. It, you know, who cares about it? If you're interested in what I'm doing, that's great. But if you're, you're not, no, all, all good. So it's, it's nice to find someone. You're the first interviewer I've uh, talked to in this round that actually knew some, knows simple prayer one. And, And so thank you for that. Yeah. They're completely different. And who the, is singing on Simple Prayer to the, the voices are so beautiful. Oh, it's fantastic. Thank you for asking, because those are the other, everyone will make a deal just like I'm doing about Danielle, Ezra and Danielle. But okay, so uh, the female voice is Z Bird, Tony's daughter. Okay. She's a, a great artist. She just had never quite gotten her due. And uh, she made a beautiful record a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't think not that many people have heard it, but it's one I just love it. It just crushes me. Uh, so Zberg, and then a great producer who has made two uh, solo records on Warner Brothers. Again, hasn't gotten the notice that those records haven't gotten the attention they deserve. His name is Ethan Gruska, and uh, Ethan. you know the name? Yes, sure. Yes, you you may know him also. So so Tony and Ethan are the co-producers of the two very well-known Phoebe Bridger's records. Right. Yes. So Ethan's on that. And okay. If you see, you see Phoebe Bridger's doing a tiny desk concert, that's Ethan on keyboard and my new serious cohort, Rob Moose of Y music playing fiddle, playing violin. And uh, we're making a record together. the, The chamber group Y music, and I are very excited about something we've been doing. I've been kind of making two records at the same time, Blicted and this upcoming record for next year. Unless someone says, man, you're, you're flooding the market. There's too much of you out there. Out Never. There. You might be right. They might be right. Uh, anyway, so, right, that's who they are, Z-Bird and, uh, and Ethan Gruska. Well, I'm very excited about the Y Music News. I saw a concert in Brooklyn at a National Sawdust that, that you yes, did. Yes, when we, they ben. played with us. Yeah. Well, look, I, I met them again through through Justin. I, when we played his Eau Claire Music and Arts Festival, the most beautiful festival I've ever been a part of for my taste in music, they had a modern classical music stage where they're playing all this astringent, chromatic, dodecophonic, modern music, Frederick Wyshevsky, et cetera. Uh, I'm just going out of my mind, just loving this th- this scene. I was doing my, uh, I had a, a little festival in Williamsburg, the Funhouse Festival for three years. I just copied the hell out of that festival for the next year, <laughs> next couple of years. I said, added a second stage and, and I met. Okay. So we were opening up for Bon Iver this on the Saturday night of, of Eau Claire. And I was going to sit in with, with them. And then, uh, before opening for us was a, a duo, uh, the Staves, a, a British 
female folk trio, the Staves and Y Music. They made a record together, I believe, for None Such. And so they were performing that record. So I decided to go out and check out the, the band playing before us. And I just went, wow, this is amazing. And so I hired Y Music to, to come to my festival the next year and the Staves. Staves sang on Absolute Zero on a couple, two or three tracks. And Y Music was all over the last, they've been up, Y Music, and then Rob Moose just scoring himself, just doing his own arrangements and playing all the instruments. Uh, that combination of Y Music and just Rob, they're on 40% of each record, each of these three records. And so it was just a natural progression for us to finally decide to do something much more comprehensive, uh, a deeper dive just together, just why music and me. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, all, we're getting close to finish with it. And w- one thing that we talked about earlier, and you mentioned there, the little EDM section of the album with maybe now and 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 yeah. bucket list. Um, yeah, exactly. are, are you an EDM fan? I look. I don't listen to it, but ever since the disco era, I have recognized the the uh impact that four on the floor on the kick drum has on the uh, the average uh, concert goer uh so i just thought usually okay this a song like this uh, usually i would have made it kind of like a fast two beat like a leon russell you know uh i put a spell on you honey i put a spell on you uh, that sort of thing uh straight uh Bluegrassy, you know, two, two, two beat, we call it. Like my song, King of the Hill. And so these songs are in that vein, but they don't sound like it because of the production, because it starts off with don't, 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 don't. And so it's just a different, just an old style dressed up in new clothes. Right? Sure. And, uh, so yeah, and, and of course the compositions are a little strange or a little nuttier than King of the Hill, say, which is more of a straight ahead bluesy, bluesy two beat thing. You can sing Mystery Train after King of the Hill, which we do now and then. Are you familiar with the band Green Green Sky Bluegrass? Oh yeah, they play they play two or three months. They've been playing King of the Hill for years, That's... and now I know they've been playing Great Divide now. So yes. that I guess they are. Spirit Trail devotees, devotee, <laughs> my 1998 record. And at some point in the next year and a half, it's got to be probably next year if we're, we're going to be true to the timing. It's the 25th anniversary of that record. And a lot of my true fans, my real, again, uh, aficionados, not the people who just know old hits and that's what they want to hear. They don't know anything else. They haven't kept up. Uh, a lot of the true fans think that this is that that record is my best record that i ever made and and now some of them are are moving over to not secure and absolute zero and going okay we might have to put them with that but uh we're going to come out at some point with a 25th anniversary uh reissue of spirit trail with a live a live disc it's showing how it's all evolved so much because our music because of our approach it it, the, the songs really end up morphing into new things and just flowering live uh and we found okay i'm not gonna i'm gonna i've got i gotta keep something surprise as a surprise okay so, well um, a- anyway but but yes yeah, speak, speaking of, so those songs are again my sort of a version of, of of me doing that two beat thing that old leon russell yeah. thing that i'm never far from and did I see that you've started playing maybe now live? Not yet. We've played okay. we've played several of the songs. We've played the two Dulcimer songs, Is This It and LIDAR. We've played uh Days Ahead a bunch, Sidelines a bunch, Monkey Business, we played that. Okay. Uh but we're going to rehearse. I'm going to LA next week and to to work a little bit uh with some of my younger friends and also rehearse a couple of days with the LA contingent of our band, the, the core of the band all lives in LA. Uh, JT Thomas on keyboards, JB Collier on bass, 
Those guys have been with me for 32 and 28 years, respectively. And Chad Wright, we call him Punkin Wright. He plays drums. So the four of us will get together and work on Maybe Now <laughs> and, and a couple of others. Because it'll be interesting how you adapt a song like that for for the noisemakers. <laughs> it probably will end it up. It's a, it's a, it's a good, uh, yeah, it will be interesting. It's a good statement you made because I'm hoping that it's not going to end up sounding just like some old two-beat thing that we've done before. Right. I'm hoping that we'll be able to to make it sound modern, to make it sound like the record does. It sounds like a record that's that could not have been made in 1986. Sure. It doesn't sound like that. And that's, I'm interested in making a sound that I haven't heard before, as I might have said already. And uh, and that's an example of it. Uh, it basically, th- th- both of those songs were, were Spike Lee used. Oh, okay. That, okay. that were actually used in films. And uh, so, again, I just thought I wanted to have some up-tempo kind of jammers. And uh, and so I heard these and I went, this is the, this this will do this will fit the bill perfect well i thank you so much for your time bruce and uh this has been it's such always a, a pleasure scott thanks such man. a pleasure great to to catch up again and uh look forward to uh seeing the material in concert and i can't wait to hear what you have cooked up with with why music yes thank you okay well that it, it's next year no no sooner than 12 months from now but, one, uh, one thing at a time. Flicted, folks, is yeah. is out now. It's it's almost. Oh, it's right. It's it, out now. It'll be out when it'll people be hear out, this. Yes. Yes. Okay, man. Thanks for your support. Appreciate it, you guys. You got it. And Scott, particularly. Take take care. Okay, man. Bye. All right. episode of the Jam Bass Podcast. Many thanks to Bruce Hornsby for taking the time to chat. Be sure to grab Flicted wherever you purchase good music. This episode has been produced by Jake Alexander. Thanks to Jake for producing. Our theme music comes courtesy of Jake's clanging and banging duo with Kirby Lee Hamill. We appreciate you listening and check back next week for another outstanding interview. Be well and go see live music. <laughs>